0: So we are continuing the series titled Life in the Desert. Um, We started uh, three weeks ago, right, as we picked up where we left off from last fall, looking at just the life and ministry and leadership of Moses. And again, we started this series after the Red Sea, and then they move into the kind of second phase of Moses' life and leadership. And this is while they are wandering through the desert. And there are so many times in our lives and in our faith that it feels like we're wandering in a desert. Right? maybe it's just wandering. Maybe we're just not sure what direction we're headed in. Maybe it's just times of dryness in our life. Maybe it's times of, of, um, of just moving to the new, new phase. Right. I mean, it was it, it, again all of those things is what's happening in the Israelites' um, lives as they were God's chosen people, a nation. They, God removed them out of Egypt and just sending them into the Promised Land, and and this was that time. This was this transition point between those two phases. And so many times, though, the desert feels like we are lost. Right? The desert feels like when we are, whether we, it's a desert or a, a dark valley, right? however you want to describe it, we've all experienced those times in life. And yet in those times we learn um, you know, the promises of God. We see how God's presence is with them, how he directed, again, the Israelite people and, and gave, showed them how to get through the desert right, and enter into that promised land. Again, no matter where we are at in our life, even if we feel like that, right, we can seek the Lord and and, and follow his direction and claim the promise of God that we see in our theme verse for this series. As God tells them, he says, but forget all of that is nothing compared to what I am going to do, for I am about to do something new. See, I have already begun, Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. Again, as we look at at God's, again, not just direction for the Israelite people, but even for us, we can claim that promise, right? The fact that God will will show us the path to get through it. That that God will give us drinks of water when we are dry. Right. And again, water in Scripture is often representative of God's spirit, right? And as God creates these rivers, right, he's saying, I will pour out my presence on you. Or your, my spirit is with you, right? And we can claim that promise. Over the last three weeks, as we look, look through these first several, um, you know, events of the Israelite, Israelites in the desert, we have learned um, four different keys to life in the desert, right? The first key that we learned was Um, to focus on God and his power to work through issues. And so many times we end up focusing on the issues, right, and not on God. And and we we carry those burdens on our own shoulders instead of giving them up to the Lord and using his power to get through them. So again, life in the desert, key number one, is to focus on God and his power as we work through issues. Life in the desert, key number two to rely on trusted, like-minded people to help you. You were not created to do life alone. You were created for a relationship, right? relationship with God and with others. And we know that, again, so many times, again, that's one of the lies we believe. Like, no, I can handle it myself. I'll I'll fix it myself. (laughs) How many times have we told ourselves that? Right, and yet we look at this key. This is literally, this is why God gave us the church, right? That we're supposed to be, come together as like-minded people as we're following Christ together, learn from each other and and support and help each other. Right, and that's, again, what the church is supposed to be, right? To rely on trusted, like-minded people to help you, especially in the desert times of life. Life in the desert, key number three, to submit to the sovereignty of God. And again, sovereignty is this big, fancy theological term, but it just means that God is all-powerful, right? That he is the ultimate authority. And the, but again, the, the key to this key is to the submit part, right? Sometimes it's easy to forget about the sovereignty part of God, but yet we can, we can learn that, right? We see that, but the, the, the most important part of this key is the submit part. Will I submit to God, right, and to his power? and to his sovereignty, right? Well, I have a reverent fear of God, not a fear that, that paralyzes me, not a fear that pushes God away, but a fear that's that it, a respect, right? That I know God is sovereign. I know he's all-powerful, but I also know that he wants a relationship with me. Remember in that, that one, right, we talked about, it, we got to run up the mountain instead of running away, right? Into God's presence. Submit to the sovereignty of God. And then last week we saw life in the desert key number four, and that is, don't abandon God's plan for the quick fix. Like, so many times, that's a big temptation, isn't it? It was like, you know what? I'll just do this. I'll get instant results, right? Again, I can handle it on my own. I'll just, I'll fix it right now. And, and so many times when we take those shortcuts, right, we, we miss out on God's plan for us, on God's blessings for us, right? And, and again, God is, is in the transformation business, but he transforms at a different pace than we want most of the time. Right? And in fact, God just, most of the time, I know, maybe just to me, but he's saying, Brian, slow down. Take a breath. <laughs> Think about this, right? We don't have to go that fast. Okay, don't abandon God's plan for the quick fix. Now, as, as the Israelite people have been given these keys, we've seen how they've, they've made mistakes with these. And we can identify with all of those mistakes. Right, we've seen where they have, have not lived up to these keys, right, and 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 all of the different consequences and situations they get into because they abandon these, right, and, and then God continues to give them more more tools and more um, times to test those tools, right, on will you live out these keys? They have big, they have all been given these keys to stay on the right track and to get through the desert and into the next phase of God's plan for them. And the next phase of God's plan for them was the promised land. Right? That, that's what he told them they, that they were headed towards. That's why he brought them out of Egypt, was to give them their own land, right? a great land, a place of blessing and a place of victory. Right? This desert um, journey was supposed to be actually a very short one. Right? In time, right? and God was supposed to move them on to the next phase. Again, God is telling him, it's time to move on to the next thing. And God is telling him, I'm already at work. <laughs> right? However, there are a few housekeeping details that need to be taken care of before they can settle in their new land. Right? And as God continues this process of getting them ready to enter the promised land, okay, as we continue to work our way through these Old Testament books, right, through the law books, the Pentateuch, okay, as we continue to work through those, um, we're seeing, again, last week we ended the book of Exodus. Today we're going to cover um, a lot of ground. So are you ready? Okay, the, the, as we see, God continues to prepare them for the promised land. Okay, and, and we see lots of different ways that God continues to do this. Okay, the, the next thing that God does with them in order to prepare them for the promised land is he gives them the ongoing instructions on how to keep the law. Okay, now remember, the law started with the Ten Commandments. They were given at first in Exodus chapter 20. They're repeated a few, several different times throughout the following text. But so many times we get this next kind of several chapters of more specific instructions on how they're supposed to live out these laws, right? And in fact, when we we see this happen again in the very next book, right after Exodus is the book of Leviticus. Okay, Leviticus chapter 1 Uh, verses one and the first part of verse two, where it says the Lord called Moses from the tabernacle and said to him, give the following instructions to the people of Israel. And so we see, this is how the book of Leviticus starts. And then um, the entire book of Leviticus, all 27 chapters of it, is where God gets down into some very specific instructions with them on how they should live out the law. Okay, now you can take a sigh of relief. We're not going to read it all. Okay, in fact, Leviticus is one of those books where if you start reading the Bible, just like you read most books, if you start at the beginning and you start reading, you get through Genesis, Leviticus is where you quit. Because you get to that place and you're like, I can't do this anymore. Right, because there's just all just chapter after chapter after chapter of just all these minute details, right, of ways that they're supposed to live out the law. But the but God gives it to them because He's continuing to prepare them, right, and giving them instructions on how to live according to the law so they can be ready to enter the promised land. As we look at the entire law of Moses, right, it starts with the Ten Commandments. That is the basis for the law. Um, and then, again, as we put it all together through Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, there are what most scholars believe 613 different commandments given. Okay, 613. All 613 of them um, are, can be put into three different main categories. There are moral laws, there are civil laws, and ceremonial laws about their festivals and, and, um, and all of that. In fact, as we see as a whole, the law of Moses was an earthly copy of an eternal, heavenly, unchanging standard of holiness that God wants for us. And that standard has not changed today, by the way. Right? We've already saw, we looked earlier, how Jesus fulfilled the law the reason why we don't do all the animal sacrifices and, and live up to all of those, those moral or all the civil and ceremonial laws anymore is because Jesus fulfilled that law and, and now we are now under the covenant of grace, Right? And we know, but yet many of the moral laws that are given um, still apply to us, right? They still show us what God's expectation of a life of holiness, right? Which is why we still look at the Ten Commandments. But yet we, we don't live up to most of what's in Leviticus. Okay, as, as we look at that, we, we see, can, again, the next thing that God does with the Israelite people to prepare them for the Promised Land, and that is that God takes a census of the entire nation. In fact, this, is, this happens in the book of Numbers. It's the main reason why the book of Numbers is called the book of Numbers, right? Because God counts the people, quite literally. Okay, we see in Numbers uh, 1, verses uh, 1 through 4. So again, if you have your Bible with you, you can walk with me as we work through these. We're going to be, like I said, we're covering a lot of ground today. So kind of be ready for that. If you, if you don't have your own Bible and you're with us in person, their Bibles provided for you in the seats. You're welcome to grab and use. You'll notice the page numbers are included there where you can find it in those Bibles. But here, we're going to run through a lot of these phases here. Numbers chapter 1, starting at verse 1. It says, A year after Israel's departure from Egypt, the Lord spoke to Moses in the tabernacle in the wilderness of Sinai. And on the first day of the second month of that year, he said... From the whole community of Israel, record the names of all the warriors by their clans and families. List all the men, 20 years old and older, who are able to go to war. You and Aaron must register the troops, and you will be assisted by one family leader from each tribe. Okay, now what happens then? That's exactly what happens. We see the list of the tribes, they get all the people, they count everybody, and they go through this process of God taking a census of the entire nation. Okay, and, and again, this is just God preparing them, like knowing what their numbers are and, and so that they can move forward. The next thing we see God do with them okay, is that God moves them to a new camp. Okay, he moves them on from, from Sinai, and he moves them to a new place. And we see, again, by God's direction, the cloud lifts, right? They, they, pick, it up, they pick up and they move. And then we see in Numbers uh, chapter 10, verses 11 and 12 is where it tells us where they settle next. So again, you can flip with me to Numbers chapter 10. And in that, we're going to pick up at verse 11, where it says, in the second year after Israel's departure from Egypt, in the 20th day of the second month, the cloud lifted from the tabernacle um, of the covenant. So the Israelites set out from the wilderness of Sinai, and they traveled on from place to place until the cloud stopped in the wilderness of Paran. As we see, God, again, moves them to a new place. He says it's time for us to move in this new, new phase, right, as God continues to prepare them for the promised land. The next thing that we see happen in the midst of these travels and as they're getting to this, this next um, place where God settles them is that, that God also reminds them of his sovereignty. Again, this is that big theological fancy word, okay, but reminds them, that the, he is God and he is in control, right? And the big part of submitting to God's sovereignty is knowing that he's God and I am not God, right? And, and so we see this happening again through these, this next section in, in Numbers uh, uh, chapter 11, verse one through 12, 16. Okay? We, see, um, we see the very familiar cycle that we're already used to by now in this story, aren't we? Of where the Israelites complain. Right? And then they come to Moses and they complain about all this stuff. And then, and then God comes in and says, stop whining and complaining. And then he shows them his power, right? And he comes in. We see this, this happen a few different times in this section of Scripture. It starts out with the people whining about the manna, that they're tired of eating it and they want meat. Right? Again, we've already heard this before, haven't we? <laughs> right? And then God, again, overwhelms them with meat and he brings them all this quail. And then God literally makes them eat it for a month to the the fact where they are sick of it, right? And God reminds them again of his sovereignty. Even in the midst of that, Aaron and Miriam, which is is Moses' brother and sister, and they actually come to Moses, and they call him out on his leadership. And again, their own... Uh, egos get in the way, they kind of did that, and then, so then the three of them end up in front of God, right, and God puts them back in their place, right? This section is literally as, as people stand up and they kind of start to shake their finger at God, and God puts them back in their place, right, and reminds them of their sovereignty. You can just title this entire section as stay in your lane, right? Okay, and this is what, again, God does uh, in this Section as he continues to prepare them. And then we get to Numbers chapter 13, and this is where God gives them a glimpse of his provision, his blessing, and their future. Again, as we see, go through this, right, as God um, does all these things, right, he's doing all this prep work, and then now in this section, right, this is where the Israelite um, people are told. Okay, to send spies now into the promised land. They're at Paran. They're on the edge of it, right, of where God wants to take them. So we're going to pick up uh, the story in Numbers uh, chapter 13, verse 1. So flip again over a few more chapters, okay, uh, Numbers 13, verse 1. It says, Now the Lord said to Moses, Send out the men to explore the land of Canaan, the land I am giving to the Israelites send one leader from each of the 12 ancestral tribes. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him and, and sent out uh, 12 men, all tribal leaders of Israel, from their camp in the wilderness of Paran. And so then again, we see this listing, right, of, of the 12 spies that sent out and then they go. And then we, I want to pick up at verse 17. It says, And Moses gave the men these instructions as he sent them out to explore the land. Go north through the Negev into the hill country, see what the land is like, and find out whether the people living there are strong or weak, few or many. See what kind of land they live in. Is it good or bad? Do their towns have walls, or are they unprotected like open camps? Is the soil fertile or poor? Are there many trees? Do do your best to bring back samples of the crops you see, and it happened to be the season for harvesting the first ripe grapes." And okay, so we see Moses, you know, does the Lord, tells him, and he's set up, and then he sends out uh, these spies, right? They go, and they explore the land, um, and then they come back, and in verse 25, and they give the report, okay? Numbers 13, starting at verse 25. He says, after exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned to Moses, Aaron, and the whole community of Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran. They reported to the whole community what they had seen and and showed them the fruit that they had taken from the land. This was their report to Moses. We entered the land, and you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here is the kind of fruit it produces. But the people living there are powerful, and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. The Amalekites live in the Negev, and the Hittites, the Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan Valley. So now they come and again, they get this glimpse of what God wants for them, right? They go into this land, and they're like, This place is awesome. Right? They're like, the, the fruit is great, right? The land is, is great. Like, this, this is True, again, a land flowing with milk and honey, right? We've all heard that phrase before, haven't we? Right? And this is, again, where it comes from, right? Like, wow, God is amazing what he wants to give us. And yet, as we see this report, Okay, is that now they are out of place because, once again, God has done his part, right? He has prepared them for the promised land. He has, has um, taught them these keys on how to get through the desert and how to, to embrace and, and get everything that God wants for them, right? And, and again, what God wants for them, they have seen, is awesome. And, and, but now that God has done his part, but now they are faced with a decision on how they will proceed. They, they have done this. They've been prepared by God. He's done his part. They send the spies. They come back and they get this report. Now notice, you can, just like most things in life, you can interpret this report in, one, in a few different ways. Right? One, you can see it right and just say, yes, like, like, this, this is awesome. Right. And God has, is giving us this land. And so let's take it. Right? Let's accept it from God. In fact, that is the first option we see presented by Caleb in Numbers 13, verse 30. Caleb uh, tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once to take the land, he said, for we can certainly conquer it. Again, this is the one perspective of this report, right? From one of the spies. Hey, but the other side of the coin, right? The other way you can look at it. Now again, obviously he's focusing on how awesome the land is and on the fact that God is giving it to them, right? And he says, yep, let's take it. Hey, now the, the, the next option we see in the next verse, in verse 31, and it says, but the other men who would explore the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. Again, because part of the report, right, was this land is awesome, right? The other part of the report was there's some very strong people that live there right now. And guess what? They're not going to give it to us, right? And they're stronger than us, right? Notice that's exactly what they say, right? But where's the focus in this decision? They're looking at themselves, right, and saying, yeah, I don't really want to do that. That's kind of scary. They're big, right? And notice their focus, right, is on themselves. Again, where's Caleb's focus? It is on God, right? He's saying, no, yeah, they're big, but God's bigger, right? And they are faced with this decision, right? This is the proverbial fork in the road, right? And they have to make a decision. Which one are we going to go with? Right, and as they're faced with decision, we see what they, what they do, okay? Now, the, this is not a shocker, right? We've all heard this story before, right? That the majority completely abandoned the four keys that God had taught them. Okay, the majority of the spies, right? The majority of the nation, right? They all get on the negative bandwagon, right? And they all kind of go down that rabbit hole, Have you ever watched mainstream media lately? This is very familiar, isn't it? We can go down the negative rabbit hole very fast. Right? And that's exactly what they do. We see their response in Numbers 14, verses 1 through 4. It says, Then the whole community began weeping aloud, and they cried all night. Their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in Egypt or even here in the wilderness, they complained. Why is it that the Lord is taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? And then they plotted among themselves, let's choose a new leader and go back to Egypt." Right, and they they take this perspective, right, and they do that and they completely abandon everything that God has told them to do. Right, they look at these four keys and they're like, Nope, we're not doing that. Forget about all of that, right? We we should just die or just go back to Egypt, right? And, And notice, right, they and they take it all back into their own hands and say, We'll find a leader that will do what we want them to do. I'm not gonna make the cultural connection. You can do that yourself. Okay, then we see the other reaction. Okay, so the the majority completely abandoned the four keys that God had taught them. And the other reaction, there are four people that stay committed to the four keys that God had taught them. Okay, we see their response in verses 5 through 9. It says, But then Moses and Aaron fell face down on the ground before the whole community of Israel. And two of the men who had explored the land, Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Japhunah, tore their clothing. And they said to all the people of Israel, The land we traveled through and explored is a wonderful land. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us safely into that land and give it to us. It is a rich land, flowing with milk and honey. Do not rebel against the Lord and don't be afraid of the people in the land. They are only hopeless prey to us. They have no protection, but the Lord is with us. So don't be afraid of them. And we see, again, they, there are, again, these four people in this entire nation right, are, are making the wiser choice. Because again, their focus is on God, right? They are living into these four keys. They're embracing all of those, right? And they're saying, no, God has, has prepared us for this and now we will take what God has provided. Right? And we will not be afraid, right, that will paralyze us, but we will have this, again, submit to God's sovereignty. We will, you know, follow all of these guidelines and we will get what God has done for us. And the reality is, as we look at this and look at these responses, we know that we see both of these responses in our world, especially when it comes to faith and to Jesus and to the gospel, right? In fact, as we look at this, we realize, right, that the gospel of Jesus brings us to this very same decision, right? And we are faced with the exact same crossroads in our life. Because okay, the truth is, God has already done his part of the gospel. Okay, he's already provided a way for us to be saved. He sent Jesus to fulfill the law, right, to show us that we needed a Savior, and so he sent us a Savior. Right? And Jesus lived that sinless life. He taught us what it meant to be godly. He is our example to follow. Right, And God... Um, lived through Jesus, right? He lived that life. He died on that cross for our sin to atone for us, to pay for our price. He stepped in our place. He became our sacrificial lamb, right? And he died on that cross to pay for my sin and yours. And then he rose again on the third day and he conquered sin and death, right? And invites us into the promised land. God has done his part. And now we are faced with a decision. The same decision the Israelites were faced with in this moment. Are we going to embrace what God has given us and move into the promised land of of walking with Jesus? Or are we going to say, nope, I'm just going to stick with my plan. right? And I'm just going to go right back into the same, you know, addictions and misery and 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 depression and kind of all go back into my my old comfort zone yes i know it was bad but at least it's familiar right and we're faced with the same decision and again our our part is making the decision to trust in god to surrender our lives to him, right? to submit to his sovereignty, to, to live out these four keys every day. God has done his part, but will I focus on God and his power? right? Will I rely on trusted, like-minded people to help me? Will I submit to the sovereignty of God and will I not abandon God's plan for the quick fix? What is your decision? Because you're faced with the same ones Israelites were. Right? And, and it starts, again, with that decision to receive Christ as your Savior, right? to invite him into your life and say, God, I will embrace what you are offering me, and I will submit to you and confess my sin and have you come in. Now, again, this, though, this is a decision that doesn't end with that re- decision to receive Christ as your Savior and be, come, commit, receive your salvation, be, have your, your life restored, your relationship restored with him. That's where the journey starts. Because then we have to make the same decision every single day to continue to walk with Jesus as we are transformed by his spirit. And again, what is your decision? We are faced with the same decision. And Paul speaks to this, um, the power of this decision in, in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 9. Okay, where he says, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law, rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. Right? And that is the decision we're faced with. Will I put my faith in God? Will I receive him as my Savior? Will I have my, my relationship with him restored? Right? Will I join the journey of faith and start moving in a new direction, right? a direction towards being transformed to become more like Christ tomorrow than I am today? And in order for that process to continue in my life, I have to make that same decision every day as I walk with Christ and I'm transformed with his spirit and continue to live out these four keys. Right? And Jesus has paid the price for your sin. Right? And he um, is inviting you to receive him. Right? And then we live out the gospel every day once we do. Now, we also need to realize and understand right, that as we receive Christ our Savior, our sins are forgiven, and they absolutely are, right? and all of the spiritual consequences of our sin are washed away by the blood of the Lamb. Right? That our relationship is restored with Him, and again, because every sin separates us from God. Right? And yet, we also need to understand that we will experience the consequences of our decisions. Right? Because the consequence of our decision to follow Christ, right, comes with consequences. It means that I'm going to be transformed by God's Spirit and I've got to live out these four keys, right? And I've got to continue to journey forward with Christ. Right? There are consequences of those decisions, right? But yet, remember, the promised land is awesome. It's worth it. <laughs> right? But there also is that we also have to live out the earthly consequences of our sinful choices. Right? And that's exactly what happens with the again, the Israelites. Okay, in, in Numbers 14, um, verses 26 through 30, okay, we see, again, the consequences of their decisions. It says, then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, how long must I put up with this wicked community and its complaints about me? Yes, I've heard the complaints the Israelites are making against me, and now tell them this, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will, I will do to you the very things I heard you say. You will all drop dead in the wilderness, because you complained against me, every one of you who is 20 years old or older and was in, included in the registration will die. You will not enter and occupy the land I swore to give you. The only exceptions will be Caleb, son of Jeph- Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. Those were the two spies, right, that didn't give a negative report. Yeah, and, and now we see, again, the significance, right, even of the census that God took. Right, every, every adult that was counted in that census will not get to go into the promised land, right? Now, God's presence is still with them, right? And he still guides them, right? And he still tries, gives them all kinds of chances, right? But, um, to, and they walk they walk with him, but, but yeah, he says, but the consequences of, of this sin, right, is that you will not get to enter the promised land. Hey, and again, we understand the spiritual consequences of our sin get washed away, but yet we still have to deal with some of the physical consequences of our sin, right? And we carry those scars with us, don't we? Right? And and again, I'll t- I'll t- yeah, i yeah, I can see I have scars on my body from some of my very poor decisions, right? And those scars remind me every day, right? Don't make that decision again. Right? There are consequences that God still allows us to experience, right, so we can learn that lesson and be transformed by your spirit and say, don't do that again. Okay? We still experience consequences of our decisions, but praise God, those spiritual consequences of my sin is washed away with the blood of the Lamb. Right? As we realize this, I want to um, show you in Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. Okay? Where it says, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. I want to read that again. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. Are you embracing the promised land in your life are you planting the right things to experience god's blessing and his love and his provision you will always harvest what you plant and so many times we end up stuck in these desert seasons of life and we're like how come i'm not getting out and god's like i've given you the keys to get out you just got to choose them you just got to live them out. Right? And so many times, again, in our own faith journey, we get stalled, don't we? Right? We end up in these places and we're like, Lord, I don't know how I got there. And he's like, I'll show you how you got there. Right? And he shows us how we got there so that he can also show us how to get out of there. And again, I don't know where you're at in your faith today. I don't know what what promised land God has given you a glimpse of, but he so desperately wants you to embrace it. And if you're here today, you've never received Christ as your savior, right, I'll tell you is that that is the next step for you in grabbing that promised land. Okay, it's for you to, to pray, to confess your sin, to ask Jesus into your life, and to be renewed by his spirit and have your relationship with him restored, right, as you claim the blood of Jesus, Hey, this is my final thought for us today. This is this. It comes out of Philippians chapter three, uh, verses, it's actually 13 and 14. I realized I typed it wrong in there. It says, no, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. And I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. God is calling you to the promised land Embrace it, take it, receive it this morning. Yeah, wherever you're at in your faith journey, take a step forward to Christ today. Yes, God, we believe in you. God, we believe in your spirit. Lord, we believe in Jesus as our savior, as our Messiah. And God, we believe in the promised land. God, that you want to break change in our life. God, that you want to transform us. God, that you want us to experience the incredible blessing of who you are. God, of being transformed by your spirit every day. God, may you make us holy like you are holy. And God, help us to live our faith every moment, Lord, to make that decision every time it's in front of us. God, to embrace who you are, to embrace the promised land. God, and to go somewhere new in our faith. Lord, thank you for for showing us our way out of the desert. And God, as we go this week, I pray, God, that we would go with your power. Lord, go with your strength. God, that you would shine your light through each of us. God, that we can show this world who you are, Lord, and show this world how to make a different decision and show this world, Lord, what it means to walk with you every day. Lord, help us as your church, Lord, to help help you save the world and build your kingdom. God, we submit to you we praise you, we accept, Lord, your gift of a promised land. And God, as we embrace that, we give you the glory every moment. Guide us as we go this morning and as we go this week. Thank you for going with us through the desert and into the promised land. Guide us as we go in Jesus' name.